Well, good morning. Welcome again to Mission Church, where our mission and vision is to partner with God to see His kingdom come in northwest Las Vegas as it is in heaven. And we're working towards that end by loving Jesus with everything that we have, by living like Him, pursuing obedience that is stemming from an understanding of the good news of the gospel. And we are intense in leading others to the Lord by sharing the gospel, coming alongside, and making disciples that make disciples. Please open your Bible to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. The Psalms provide for us words to pray. The Psalms provide us these filters in which we can process our emotions. These are a gift to us. The Psalms have been teaching God's people the language of prayer for over 2,500 years, teaching us the language of lament, the language of, of petition, the language of praise and worship, the language of repentance and confession. And Psalm 23 provides us the words to pray as we travel through life's darkest valleys. Those moments when you feel overwhelmed. Have you ever felt overwhelmed? Those moments when you feel overtaken by a loud, obnoxious, and anxious and worried soul. Those moments in life when rest eludes you and all you can cry out in that moment is, God, I I trust you. I have nothing else. Friend, if you came to church this morning needing stability, if you came searching for strength, perhaps you came in this morning limping, searching for rest. If you are lost in need of a Savior, tell me, where do you go with those questions? Where do you go with those emotions? Where do you run? And whom to, you, to whom do you look? When you are in the valley of deep darkness, who can you trust? Now, if you're able to, I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word, Psalm 23. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 23. So the Psalm of David, the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life, he leads me along the right path for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd rip away the walls, the calluses, everything that's built up in our hearts due to bitterness, unforgiveness, brokenness, sin, whatever it may be, so that we could be sensitive to the moving of your spirit in this moment as we sit under the counsel of your word. Help us to have a greater understanding of who you are. Would you stir our affections away from ourselves, away from the world, away from our preferences, and Lord, would they fix them upon Christ? Would you fix our affections upon our Lord and Savior, Jesus? Lord, would you help me this morning? May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. 
Lord God, you are our rock and our redeemer, and you are our good, sa- good shepherd and our good savior. Lord, we love you and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Psalm 23 is perhaps one of the most beloved and iconic chapters in all of the Bible. This psalm is, is common. Perhaps when I, we stood together and read through Psalm 23, that this was not a new text to many of you. This psalm is often read beside hospital beds, preached at funerals. They're also on plaques at Hobby Lobby. They're all over the place. The beautiful and poetic words of Psalm 23 have comforted encouraged many during the worst days, the worst moments in their life. Psalm 23 is without a doubt some of the most inspiring lyrics ever written. They've been appreciated, cherished, admired for generations and generations. However, this morning I I have a proposition for you. That despite the popularity of Psalm 23 and the familiarity, that this is not a song that everyone can sing. Psalm 23 is exclusive. It's an exclusive declaration of the one who has a personal relationship with the shepherd. One who has a personal relationship with God. David proclaims in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Underline or circle or make a note of that title of, of my. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need And the question I have for you this morning is this, are you able to join David this morning in proclaiming these words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now it's imperative when considering Psalm 23 that we must recognize that this does not exist in isolation. Now many of the Psalms can be pulled out and taught um, and stand alone, but this Psalm does exist in a canonical context is what it's called. Psalm 23 must be considered in light of Psalm 22. For we can only properly understand Jesus as our shepherd after we first consider Jesus as our Savior and our King. Consider this comment from Charles Spurgeon. He says, the position of this psalm is worthy of notice. It follows the 22nd, which is peculiarly the psalm of the cross. There are no green pastures, no still waters on the other side, of the 22nd Psalm. It's only after we have read, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me that we come to the Lord is my shepherd. We must experience, we must by experience know the value of bloodshedding and see the sword awakened against the shepherd before we shall be able truly to know the sweetness of the good shepherd's care. In other words, this Psalm, Psalm 23, cannot be properly understood apart from Psalm 22. And Psalm 22 is the Psalm of the cross in which David wrote prophetically a thousand years before Jesus was born. And David, with the the eyes of faith and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote that Jesus would be surrounded by His enemies. That they would cast lots for His clothing. That He would be brutally beaten That Jesus would have nails driven into His hands, driven in His feet, and hung on a cross where He would thirst, where He would be stabbed in His side, and that He would ultimately be gruesomely crucified. And it's only in light of the gruesomeness of Psalm 22 that Psalm 23 becomes the blessing and the comfort 
and the rest that it is. In other words, Psalm 23 is not proclaiming that following Jesus ensures an easy life. Psalm 23 is not saying that the Christian life is opposed, is free of opposition, free of pain. Friends, there's nothing further from the truth. It's only after we read Psalm 22.1 that says, My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far from my deliverance? And from my words of groaning, it's only after we understand and recognize and receive Jesus as our suffering Savior that we can rest in Him as our good shepherd. Now to best understand our text this morning, I want to consider the trustworthiness of our good shepherd and our good Savior as seen in Psalm 23 in three scenes. Number one, we are going to venture into the scene called the good shepherd. Number two, Scene two, the dark valley. And scene three, the gracious host. You guys doing okay? All right, let's look at scene number one, the good shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. To be a shepherd in ancient Israel was considered the lowliest of work. A shepherd would actually live with his sheep 24 hours a day with unwavering devotion to his sheep. Day and night, rain or shine, summer or winter, you would find the shepherd living in the dirt, living amongst the stinky sheep. The shepherd assumed full responsibility for the, the sheep, the sheep's, <laughs> their needs, their safety. The shepherd would nurture them. He would guide them. He would protect his sheep, even to the point of risking his own life for their safety against predators and thieves. This was a dirty job. It was a dangerous job. And no one in their right mind would have wanted to become a shepherd. Yet God so loves you and I that He has chosen to be our shepherd. Now it's imperative that we read Psalm 23 in light of who Jesus is and understanding that Jesus is the good shepherd that David is writing about. In fact, Jesus appropriated David's shepherd metaphor in order to describe Himself. If you remember from a few months back in our I Am series, John 10-11 where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down His life for the sheep. Consider also Hebrews 13.20 that says, Now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of, his, of, the, of, of the everlasting covenant. Also consider 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, which says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You see, it's clear. Jesus is the good shepherd in whom David is speaking of. But friend, the question proposed this morning is not, is Jesus the good shepherd, but is Jesus your good shepherd? Have you put your trust in Jesus Christ, not just as your Savior, but as your King, as your Lord? Can you join Spurgeon in saying, if he be a shepherd to no one else, he is a shepherd to me? He cares for me. He watches over me and preserves me. Can you say that? Is Jesus truly your shepherd? Now, there's a question that's begging to be asked, and it is this. How do I know if Jesus is my shepherd? 
And in John chapter 10, we get two diagnostic questions that Jesus provides for us. Jesus says this, my sheep hear my voice. So question number one would be, do you hear His voice? Do you listen to His Word? Is your life centered on the Scriptures? On the Word of God? Do you hunger for them? Are you thirsty for them? Jesus also says, my sheep follow Me. So question number one is, do you listen to His Word? And question number two, do you do what He says from His Word? In other words, are you applying God's Word to your life? Here's the thing. There's a ton of people who have found false comfort in Psalm 23 because they neither know the shepherd or obey the shepherd. They want to believe that God is their shepherd, but they neither listen to Jesus nor follow Him. Friends, Jesus is the great shepherd of God's people, and if you do not belong to Jesus, well then God is not your shepherd. And if you're sitting under the sound of my voice and considering these diagnostic questions and you realize, wait a second, I do not listen to His Word. I am not obedient to that which His Word says. And the truth is, you cannot proclaim this morning in this moment that Jesus is your shepherd. And the most important reality for you this morning is this, to turn from your sin, repent and run to the cross and to trust in, a G- in Jesus for salvation from the holy wrath of God. If you do, you will discover more and more each day that the Lord is worthy of your trust and you can find rest in a good shepherd and a wonderful Savior. Friends, Jesus is the good shepherd and He provides for His sheep. Look back at verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. Friends, if the Lord is our shepherd, then that makes us what? That makes us sheep. And left to themselves, sheep lack everything. Sheep are helpless. They're defenseless. Sheep can't even care for themselves. However, under the shepherd's care, all of their needs are met. They have everything that they need. So it is for all of us who trust in Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. Christian, you are under the watchful care of Him who is all-sufficient. He is inexhaustible. He is unchanging. And verse 1 is emphatically proclaiming that if you are one of God's sheep, you are precious to Him and you will have everything that you need. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing and there is no one in this life that can satisfy you like God can. And for those of you who have trusted in Jesus, you can live with confidence The Lord is watching over you, protecting you, providing for your every need. Verse 2, He lets me lie down in green pastures. Now sheep, well sheep, they don't have the capacity to find their own source of food. They're completely dependent upon their shepherd to, to find them pastures in which they can graze. And it must be green pastures because, well, sheep, they aren't picky. In fact, hungry sheep will satisfy their hunger in the wrong places. So the faithful shepherd ensures that his sheep have the greatest and the best grass to eat. And once he leads them to these green pastures, what does he do? He lets them rest. In fact, the good shepherd, he makes his sheep lie down. 
The shepherd knows what's best for a sheep. He knows what awaits them on the road ahead. He knows that tired and hungry sheep, they are not going to make the journey. So he makes them lie down in green pastures. And for sheep to feel safe enough and content enough to lie down, this is a big deal. And we can't overlook this. In fact, I read a book by a man named Philip Keller. He, 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 the book is called A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23. You see, Mr. Philip Keller, he worked as a shepherd for eight years. And so he gives some insight from that field of shepherding into Psalm 23, and he says this, when sheep lie down, it's because they are safe and satisfied. Sheep are timid, and it's almost impossible for sheep to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. First, they must be free from fear. Also, because of their social behavior within the flock, sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with other sheep. If tormented by flies or parasites, sheep won't lie down. Only when free of these pests can they relax. Lastly, sheep will not lie down if they are hungry. And so this verse that says that He lets us lie down, lying down in green pastures speaks of the satisfaction and the peace and the joy and the reconciliation that could only be provided from God. And the green pastures He provides for us to to eat the green grass are the Scriptures. Brothers and sisters, God's Word is always fresh. It's always rich. It is never exhausted. And when by faith we are enabled to find rest in the promises of God, we are like sheep that are lying down in the midst of a pasture and we too can find peace, rest, refreshment, satisfaction. And not only does the Lord let me lie down in green pastures, but He also leads me beside quiet waters. Just as the pastures must be green, the waters must be still. They must be calm. Because if thirsty sheep wade into running waters, they could lose their balance, fall, swept away by the current and drown. So the good shepherd, what he would do is he would build, take rocks and he would build a dam into the rushing water to create a still, calm, quiet pool so that the sheep can drink safely. But this leading to quiet waters was not just limited to finding a safe place to find a drink. It was also these calm, quiet, and still waters in which the shepherd would cleanse the sheep's wounds the soiled spots on their, their wool would be cleaned and cleansed. And throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, we see this image of rushing water depicting distress. And calm water is used to depict the washing and the renewing of one's soul. And the point here that David is making is that God cleanses His people from their sin and provides us with spiritual refreshment and renewal from the chaos of a life lived in a broken and sinful world. That even in the midst of the chaos in which we live, we can lie down in green pastures and we can find rest and refreshment and cleansing and calm and quiet waters. You see, the green pastures and the still waters are a picture of how God cares for us. Our Good Shepherd provides for our needs. I'm reminded of what He taught us to pray. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 11, He says, Give us today our daily bread. 
Brothers and sisters, God knows what you need. And He is committed to providing for you. Even more, He is the only one who can satisfy the deepest needs of your soul. Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus also said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to Me, they will not hunger. And whoever, whosoever believes in Me, they will not thirst. Our shepherd also says in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to Me, all of you who are weary, every one of you that are burdened, and He promises, I will give you rest. Church, you are being invited this morning to lie down and find rest in the green pastures of God's Word. You're being invited to wade into the the calm and quiet pool of God's grace and mercy and drink up. And David doesn't stop here. He continues. Look at verse 3. He says, He renews my life. Now so far, David has described how good this shepherd is. The shepherd fully satisfies our every need for nourishment and refreshment, yet despite the Lord's care, let's be honest, there's times in which sheep stray. Even though the shepherd is good, even though he provides everything that we need, sheep are still sheep. And so there are times when the sheep look for nourishment in wastelands rather than green pastures. They look for advice and counsel from that which is not God's Word. There are times in which sheep look for refreshment in polluted wells. Isaiah 53.6 says, We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned to our own way. And the Lord has punished Him for the iniquity of us all. Friends, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us is intentionally turned away from God. We have rejected Him. But the good news is, is we have a shepherd, friends, who has promised to never leave us. He will never walk out on us. And He is the one who renews our souls. And this word renew, it could also be translated as restore or repent. It's the idea of returning something or someone back to the, their original state. I'm in verse 3, by the way, of Psalm 23. This word renew. It's this idea of returning something back to its original state. In other words, David is saying that the Lord is restoring him back to his proper spiritual and physical condition by forgiving him, renewing him, and restoring him. David is referring to the restorative ritual and sacrifice in the temple where they would go and make a sacrifice while also pointing us to the ultimate sacrifice of his future son, Jesus. The great shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. I'm reminded of a story that Jesus told about a lost sheep. I was reminded of this story this past week. In Luke 15, 4-7, Jesus says, What a man among you who has a hundred sheep and loses one of them does not leave the ninety-nine in the open field and go after the lost one until he finds it. When he has found it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and coming home, he calls his friends and neighbors together and says to them, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who don't need repentance. Has a good shepherd found you, friend? Has he found you? 
If your heart, in your heart you know that you have wandered away, that you have been looking to wastelands and polluted wells to find your fill, you are not alone. And I want you to hear me this morning that someone is looking for you. And when Jesus finds His sheep, here's what He does. He renews you and restores you. And He gives you rest. In fact, He says this in verse 3, He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for His name's sake. This is amazing. Grass was hard to find in the land of Israel and shepherds had to be ready to lead their flock along long migrations. And these migrations, they would go from one pasture of green grass to the next, but the sheep wouldn't understand why they're leaving. What seemed like a good place. They found some rest. There was a calm pool. Why are, why are we leaving here? Especially, why are we leaving to climb up mountains and, and hike through valleys and, and walk through the wilderness? If sheep can talk, they might say, yo, shepherd, where are we going? The ground is rough. There is no water here. There is no grass. I'm tired. Like my kids, are we there yet? We're literally not even out of the neighborhood. Calm down. (laughs) But still, the shepherd leads on. The sheep don't always know where they're going, but the shepherd does. Have you ever looked at your life and wondered where in the world am I going? What is happening here? The shepherd knows exactly where he is leading you, and he has a good pasture in mind. He's leading his sheep to the green grass. He's leading his sheep to the quiet waters. And all along the way, there is not a single wasted step of the journey. And so it is with our lives. We can look back and say, why couldn't we have stayed where we were? Why are you leading me here? Why are you taking me through this difficult season and these unideal circumstances? And still, our shepherd, what does he do? He leads on. He continues to take us through these valleys. He knows where he's going. And friends, we can trust him. And I want to say to you this morning, you can trust him. David was confident that God would not lead him down the wrong path. David knew that God was, going to, that God was not going to make a wrong turn. David was confident of this because God put his name on the line. Look back at the text. It says, He leads me along the right path for what? His namesake. Ancient shepherds would raise their sheep for their wool, and they would then lead them to the marketplace to sell their coats. But the shepherd, although the ground is rocky and rough, they would carefully choose the path because if they showed up, with wounded and injured sheep, it would hurt his profits. So he would lead his sheep on straight paths to the marketplace. The shepherd would build a reputation at some point then. The merchants would no longer have to uh, examine the sheep. They would just accept them on the reputation of the shepherd. It's for his name's sake. How amazing is this? That the Lord leads us in the same way on paths of His righteousness for His name's sake. In other words, Jesus has put His reputation on the line for you. And Even though we might not understand the path that we are on, we can trust our shepherd to lead us. And when we stand before the Lord at the end of our days, this is where this is amazing. When we stand before the Lord at the end of our days, we will be found complete. We will be found whole. 
we will be accepted. And we will be accepted not based on your reputation, not based upon your good works, not based upon you at all, but based upon our good shepherd who put his name on the line. Not based on our righteousness, but based on the righteousness of a good shepherd who led us to that point. He is the one who began the good work in you. He is the one who will continue the good work in you. And He is the one who will finish the good work in you. And you can trust Him to do so. This verse is speaking of the process of sanctification. The process in which a Christian being empowered by the Holy Spirit is being renewed and being conformed to the image of God and enabled to, to, to sin less and to love Jesus, to live like Jesus, to lead others to Jesus. Some Christians overlook this blessing of sanctification because it's painful. And yet to, to one in which the Lord is truly their shepherd... A thoroughly renewed heart or becoming like Christ is the sweetest gift that God can give you. If you can be saved from wrath and yet remain an unregenerate and unrepentant sinner, then you are truly not saved, are you? For the chief desire of the one who has been saved by Jesus is to glorify Him forever, to mortify our sin and to be led in the way of holiness, to be more and more like our Savior. The path that Jesus chooses for you are right in every sense of the word. And the road he leads you on is the best road. In fact, it's the most direct route. Do you say route or route? It's the most, I'm, tomato, tomato. It's the mo, I'm going to go with route, okay? It's the most direct route from here to your heavenly home. And friends, we're almost there. Sometimes the path, though, it goes through some dark valleys, doesn't it? Difficult days. We spent most of our time in scene one. Scene two and three are not going to be as long, but we're entering into scene two, the dark valley. Here in verse four, the scene shifts. We move from these green pastures and still waters into dark valleys. But notice as David moves into this dark valley that his confidence in God is not changed. His confidence in God continues. Although his surroundings and his circumstances are unideal, his faith in God remains. His circumstances do not dictate the, or change his level of confidence or faith that he has in his shepherd. And he says in verse 4 that even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Make note of this phrase, even when I go. Even when I go, this word go is translated from the Hebrew word halak, which means to walk. In other words, what David is saying here, that even though I'm in the darkest of valley and there's danger all around me, I'm not running through it in fear. I'm walking through it with confidence. Because I know that I am not alone. When the lights go out... I don't know about you, but there's still times when I turn out the lights downstairs, I run up the stairs. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> I'm still a little afraid of the dark. And David is saying there's nothing to fear. It doesn't matter how dark it is, because you're not alone. The Lord is with you. You can walk through the darkest of valley. You don't need to run. And it indicates a steady advance of a soul that knows the road. A steady advance of the soul that knows it's in is resolved to stay on the right path that feels safe no matter how dark it is. And therefore, even though you walk through the darkest of valley, you can do so calm. You can do so composed. Because you have the great shepherd with you. 
Why? Friends, we have no reason to fear because the Lord walks with those who trust in Him. Do you trust in Him? The Lord walks with you. But notice how your trust in the Lord does not prevent you from going through life's darkest valleys. Friends, no matter how strong your faith is, the valley is ahead. After his son died of a rare aging disease, a man named Harold Kushner wrote a 1981 bestseller entitled, When Bad Things Happen to Good People. Unfortunately, Kusher failed to answer this important question. He gave it a shot. He gave it a go. But throughout this entire story, he failed to answer the question in which he titled the book. In fact, the question itself is a bit misleading. See, the question itself implies that there are good people, friends. And these good people, whoever they are, well, they should be exempt from bad situations. As though their goodness is a force field holding back the bad. But friends, that's just not true. Consider Job 5, verse 7. says that humans are born for trouble as surely as sparks fly upwards. Later on in Job, verse 1 of chapter 14, it says anyone born of a woman is short of days and full of what? Trouble. Church, bad things are not reserved for those who we define as bad people. According to Scripture, Apart from Christ, we are all bad people, for we have all sinned and we have all fallen short of God's glorious standard. Take note, God only had one good child who lived in this world without sin, and His name is Jesus. According to Scripture, God has no children who live in this world without suffering. All of His children go through the darkest of valleys, and that includes Jesus. See, going through a dark valley is not an indication that your shepherd has failed you. Hear me. Going through a dark valley is not an indication that your shepherd has failed you or an an indictment that he is not good. Remember verse 3. He leads me along right paths for his namesake. He knows what he's doing. But there are times when God's path of righteousness requires that he leads his sheep through the darkest of valley. Dark valleys, this phrase can speak to any unideal circumstance that you might be going through. It could speak of sickness, autoimmune disease, chronic pain. Those are dark valleys. A broken relationship, a broken heart, divorce can be dark valleys. Unemployment, financial hardships, the death of a loved one, depression, anxiety can all be dark valleys. And friends, we could spend a lot of time up here going through this list because it goes on and on and on but the point is that every one of us will experience dark valleys in our life it is inevitable but while there may be times of difficulty i have good news for you look at verse four again even when i go through the darkest valley i fear no danger why for you lord you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me Church, whatever valley you may be going through this morning or whatever valley you might go through tomorrow, if you are in Christ, you can enter and sojourn through and travel through and come out the other side of that valley with confidence. Know that you're not walking in your valley alone. The Lord is with you. James Montgomery Boyce says it like this, we are never so conscious of the presence of God as when we pass through life's valleys. Which reminds me of Psalm 16.8, which says, I always let the Lord guide me because He is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. 
Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, the helper who is always found in times of trouble. Isaiah 41.10, do not fear. Why? For I am with you. Do not be afraid, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. I don't know about you. There's moments in my life when I'm entering in a season of a dark valley and my emotions and my own heart, they lie to me. I don't know if you've experienced that, but they tell me things like, God is, is not here. God doesn't care. He has left you. And it's in those moments that I'm thankful that God is greater than my heart. It's in those moments that God is greater than my emotions. And I'm thankful for the gift of His Word, which is the truth. That my emotions and my heart might lie to me. But I know that His Word is greater than my emotions and my heart for it is His Word that is true. And I'm grateful for His church, which reminds me that God does not leave His children, but rather it's in those moments of difficulty and it's in the darkest of valleys that He actually draws near to us. And because He is near, we are safe. Disease, destruction can do its worst, friends. We don't need to fear evil because our shepherd is armed. With His rod in one hand and His staff in the other, He defends us. He walks with us down the roughest of roads and the darkest of valleys. And David is saying here, I'm comforted. My heart is at ease. I know that everything is going to be all right because God is with me. It's true. We need a shepherd to care for us because sometimes life, well, let's be honest, life can get as bad as death sometimes. And tell me, how can you be sure that you are going to be okay in those moments? How can you be sure that death is not the end? Well, if you are a Christian, then you have a shepherd who cares for you and has given his life for you, and he has invited you to take a seat at his table, which leads us to our third and final scene, and we'll end up here. The gracious host. The gracious host. All of a sudden here in verse 5, the scene drastically shifts. We are no longer sheep in God's flock, but we are now guests in God's house. And the final verse of Psalm 23 testifies to the Lord's generous and continual hospitality. In verse 5, he says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. David is picturing himself as a guest at an important table. He's a, he's a VIP. And his host has prepared an amazing feast. But there's a problem. Some of David's enemies are there too. You got that not in his stomach. Like, oh, I don't know if I can eat and enjoy this meal. So he has a decision to make. Am I going to run away from my enemies? Am I going to avoid this? Or number two, am I going to enjoy the hospitality of my host? And as he thinks about what he's going to do, he remembers something absolutely incredible. In that time, as he writes this, there was a binding custom of ancient hospitality which required the host to take personal responsibility for his guests. As you are an invited guest to sit at the table, your host has responsibility to keep you safe. And so literally, David's enemies were not really his enemies any longer. Rather, they were now the enemies of his host. So David was able to settle in, get comfortable. He was able to enjoy the meal in spite of the presence of his enemies as long as he continued in the presence 
of his host, he was not only going to enjoy a good meal, but his cup would overflow with blessing and goodness and mercy and compassion. And like David's host, Jesus has welcomed you, friend, to sit at his table as honored guests. We may be living in a world that is in complete opposition to us as we swim upstream, as we follow Jesus, but you can sit at his table as honored guests. You can experience a meal in which God the Father is hosting, and just as God honored Jesus in the presence of his enemies, as God protected Jesus from those who mocked him and taunted him, he will also honor you and I publicly with Christ. David is revealing to us the invitation we have to enter into a close and intimate relationship with our good shepherd. And it just so happens that he is also our good savior. Instead of dumb sheep friends, Jesus calls us friends. And as his friends and as his guests, he welcomes us into our eternal home to live with him forever. Verse 6, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I shall live. Now, the blessing of dwelling in the house of the Lord. Here's what this is about. When I was a kid, there was a song that we used to sing called Big, Big House. Are you familiar with it? And we talk about how there's lots of room in this house, and there's a lot of area in the, in the backyard we can throw the football, and we would just, we were rejoicing in, I just thought of it because we were talking about audio drilling earlier, but we, we would be rejoicing in all these good blessings that we would receive in our Father's house. But that's not the goal, is it? You see, dwelling in the house of the Lord is, is about being with the Lord. It's, home is where your family is, right? Take away the people and a house becomes a sad and empty place. It's not about the building. The joy of heaven is not about mansions or streets of gold or a big, big yard where we can play football. Jesus is the joy of heaven. It will be home because Jesus is there. And consider what Jesus says in John 14, 3. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Remember, Jesus, fully God, Jesus is also fully man, and God the Father cared for Jesus, watched over him through the valley of death. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has walked on the road that you and I are traveling. And Jesus, as your good shepherd, here's what he does. He guards you. He guides you. He protects you. And as your good savior, he has made a way for you to be God's honored guest for all eternity. If you have trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, rest in his protection as your shepherd and rest at his table as his invited guest and rest in the truth that as a child of God, you are safe and you can be satisfied in Christ because he is your all-sufficient Savior. That's good news. It should warm our hearts and leave us leaving here floating on a gospel cloud. If you have not trusted in him this morning, friends, you're invited to be a part of that. Why not trust in Jesus today? Repent of your sin. Turn from trusting in yourself. Turn from trusting in your good works for salvation and trust in Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect life of obedience that you have failed to live. And the death that your life has warranted and earned, he paid the price for in your stead. He died so you don't have to. He rose from the the grave, and when He did so, He conquered sin, Satan, and death. And all who call upon His name and trust in Him 
and believe in their heart that He is Lord and He was raised from the grave are saved. Call on Him this morning. Trust in Him this morning. You are invited into the care of a good shepherd who is also a good Savior. Let's pray. God, thank You for Your Word. And I pray, Lord, that You would give the gift of faith where it is not existing. Lord, You are the One who saves and we trust You. For those who are weary, Lord, may they find rest. And find rest in You. For those who have been drinking in polluted wells and eating in wastelands, Lord, would they rest in the pastures that You are providing and the calm waters that You are leading us to. Lord, would You restore their faith and give them hope. We thank You for the invitation to come to You when we are weary. We thank You for the rest that You provide as we leave these doors and enter into a world that is broken. May we keep this perspective and the hope that You have given us through Your Word this morning and the hope that we will receive in just a moment as we fellowship around the Lord's table. We give You all the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name, Amen.